What is up, everybody? My name is Chris McLean. This is Hater Radio. I'm here with Ian Gibson, my co-host. How are you, Ian? Doing good, man. Doing good. Hey, so uh, another big week. Uh, last week was a real big week, but this week is probably bigger than normal because it is Florida, Georgia. Uh, we'll talk about that first, but let's just uh, say who we are real quick. This is Hater Radio. It's a college football media brand. Um, we do articles on HaterRadio.com. That you can see, which Ian will have a, a, a Florida Georgia preview article coming up on either probably Friday morning. It'll, then, it'll be Friday. Um, yeah, and then some other articles that I that I do as well. I have one about uh, Kirby's dumb luck, which is the exact title of the article, and uh, just how I thought the uh, you know the fact that he got so lucky that the four main rivals of Georgia are in all hard times that have fired uh, multiple coaches over his tenure. Um, so he's been pretty fortunate that way. But regardless, you can catch those on haterradio.com. You can catch us on all the socials, uh, which are for uh, Instagram threads, uh, TikTok, and uh, Twitter X, which is hater underscore radio. For Facebook, it is hater radio cfb and for youtube it is at hater radio and ian what are yours real quick yeah instagram twitter and youtube are all at g gator g yeah so like subscribe uh follow us you know follow ian get up his uh follower count we definitely want to get more people following us uh for sure it helps out with the brand you know just getting brand recognition as best we can um but let's get into it this is the week nine preview. So, and like I said, the first game that we're going to talk about, uh, the biggest game so far for either team is the Florida Georgia game. And, uh, you know, I, um, I don't know, Ian, I'm really excited about this game more so than probably any other year, except for like maybe 2020 and 2019. You know, even the couple years before that, when there was Felipe Franks was the quarterback, you know, it was not very exciting to be a Florida fan. Really, outside of 19 and 20, it was the only two years that Florida really had a shot against Georgia. And the rest of the time, it's been kind of whatever. And it's frustrating because it's, you know, like I said in that article, you know, Georgia has been lucky in two of the games. One, uh, Jim McElwain was fired like hours after the game. So they and they knew that coming into that game that McElwain was going to get fired. So like that was a uh, an easy layup right there. And then uh, two years ago with uh, Dan Mullen, you know there was hints of him being fired as well. You know it going south and like you know they they. You know, they, obviously they took advantage of those Anthony Richardson mistakes at the end of the half to really take advantage of that game. But I don't know. It's just been it's been really tough sledding as a Florida fan last couple of years. I know there's not been much to crow about. You know, it's been I don't know. You know, and, it, and what's hurt hurts even worse is the fact that Georgia has been doing so well, you know, winning mm-hmm. two national championships, being in the playoff three out of the last like six years. Um, you know, going to the SEC championship game seemingly every year. The funny thing is they only have two SEC championships out of this entire run, 
which is like you would think they'd have more, but they've really kind of uh, failed in Atlanta more than they have won, so which is interesting. But um, as far as this game, like my thoughts, like I did a little more research than I probably normally do, and I probably should do more. I, I know it's a failing of mine, but you know, it's just, you know, I don't have as much time. I mean, like I, this is a hobby for both me and Ian. You know, we try to do as best we can with, with the time that we have. You know, Ian's a full-time student, you know, uh, so like, I don't know. Uh, but the research I found out, like specifically with certain things, like the one thing that stood out the most out of all the statistics. Now, I know Georgia's done pretty well statistic-wise. You know, they're like third best offense they're, uh, you know, rushing. Uh, they're not that great. They're only 47th in the nation. But third down conversions, they're first in the country um, on defense and they're second in the country on offense on conversion. So not only do they get stops, but then they get first downs. And uh, But the one thing that I wanted to point out the most that I think is most telling about this team is the fact that the teams that they've played their combined record outside of the one FCS team that they played that that FCS team actually has done well is only six and one, but outside of that FCS team, the record of the teams they played is 16 and 29. So it's quite telling that their front loaded schedule has been very poor and that they've been very fortunate uh, to be able to, uh, you know, uh, do as well as they have. I think, Obviously, their backloaded schedule is much more difficult. They got Missouri, uh, they've got Tennessee, they've got Ole Miss, and a surprising Georgia Tech team, you know, that beat Miami and that kept uh, Louisville on the ropes the first game of the year as well. So they will have tests coming up. And I think in this game, Florida is definitely their biggest test so far, like by far. And it's not even close because that uh, Auburn team couldn't pass the ball at all. I think they mm -hmm. had like yards passing in that game and then in that kentucky game uh you know georgia out uh out gained them like 600 yards to like 200 or something it was something ridiculous like those games weren't even close and like well the auburn game was close but the, the as far as the opponents they weren't really close because i know kentucky you know again had a you know a, a nice start but then again they they get these easy wins, much like Georgia did as well. So it makes it look like they're a much tougher opponent, and they're really not. Um, but, no, uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at total in totality with all of this is I feel like there is a chance. I know they're probably not going to win. Like, I, I, I know that no matter what, how good Florida plays, their A game does not match with, uh, like, Georgia's even, like, B-minus game. So it's like no matter what – they're probably going to lose this game. And it's a shame, but I still think the defense um, is a lot better than most of the teams that they've played. And I think that will be uh, a huge uh, benefit towards the Gators. I think that they can get some stops. You know, they got a bunch of timely stops in that South Carolina game and, you know, was a difference in how they even won that game because if they don't get those stops, they don't win that game. And uh, I know that the South Carolina did march up and down the field on them, but I still think that uh, Florida can make some plays. You know, they had the bye week. They can, um, you know, maybe have corrected some things 
um, maybe sharpened up the tackling a little bit. I know that it seems like the the one report I saw the other or today about the practices was that Monday was sluggish coming off the bye week, and that the last what is it Tuesday looked better, and that he was hoping that today would be better too. So hopefully the practices have gone all right. He liked how Monday finished up as well. So uh, Coach Billy Napier. So it, I I think there is a chance coming to this game that. You know, one, they're going to be motivated. Um, Two, they feel like they can beat them, which I think that's a huge thing. I think I even heard Spurrier talk about today. Like, if you have the belief that you can win, that goes a long way into, like, the mental game, into, like, overcoming, you know, certain obstacles. And then when you're down, like, even if they're down, like, 10 points, you know, it's not like they're like, oh, I'm just going to pack it in. I mean, they were down 10 against South Carolina. They didn't pack it in, and they came back. Um, I think Georgia gets on a slow start. Most games, they got in a slow start against South Carolina, kind of a slow start against Auburn. Um, if they can get another slow start, you know, maybe Florida goes up, I don't know, a score, maybe 10 points. And, uh, you know, the defense gets a little, um, more encouraged and, you know, because then, uh, Georgia would have to, uh, pass the ball more, maybe then, Florida can pin their ears back and come after Beck. You know, I do like Beck. I think I, I'm surprised, you know, now seeing that how well he's done this year, that the fact that Beck did not play last year, you know, I know that Stetson was like, had won the national championship, but he wasn't the starter that whole year, the first championship. And I'm surprised that Beck didn't challenge him last year. I guess it was maybe they figured he was too young and that Stetson was capable. I I mean they still won, so it doesn't matter, but I think Beck is obviously better. You know, Beck Beck will more than likely play in the NFL. It looks like it already. And you know, he's got the stature and he's got the the stats already. Like he's throwing for nearly like 270 a game. So like when you're putting up numbers like that, you're bound to get uh NFL uh analysts looking at you. Uh but no, I mean as far as their defense, George's defense, I um I don't know. I mean, like, again, they haven't been challenged. You know, their numbers are up there. You know, they're definitely one of the better defenses in the country. But again, they haven't played anybody. And they gave up a lot of points against Vanderbilt. Um, I know one of the drives that Vanderbilt scored on was a short drive because of an interception. But I don't know. I just um, I don't this defense doesn't scare me as much as years past. Like the last two years, definitely. Like I thought they had one of the better defenses, but this year, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of probably like a step below that. Not that it's that bad. It's just, it's not as good as the last two years. And, you know, with that could be the fact that a lot of the guys that were on those defenses got drafted. I think like probably almost every single one of them last two years that were starters got drafted that are not on the team now. So, you know, which is remarkable, you know, it's just how good uh, recruiting wise he's been doing. Um, but um, no, I, um, I don't know. I, I have a, like, I just, I feel really strongly that this team will do well in this game. I don't think it's going to be like a, you know, a 20 point game. I really don't think that at all. I think at worst it's going to be like a seven to 10 point game and maybe like Georgia scoring, late like a you know last two or three minute score 
to go up two scores. And, uh, you know, that's just what I feel. But, Ian, I know I've been talking a lot. I just had a lot, you know, that I was thinking about about this. Let me – I want to hear your thoughts on this. So I looked into – and this is in the article too. Um, I looked into two things uh, that's going to determine this game. Um, one of them is obviously defense, and the other one is a big one, time of possession, because these are going to be the main things that are going to make or break the Gators. Here's the thing. Time of possession, Florida is number 12, and Georgia is in the top 10 in the country on total minutes and time of possession of the game. The reason I bring this up is because the way Florida wins this game is to just play keep away. Keep that ball as long as possible, make it a muddy, dirty game, and just force Georgia to have to make the big plays. Georgia is a very systemized team. They have a script with a lot of their games, and it's a pretty damn good script uh, most of the time. Um, but with Georgia, if you can throw a monkey wrench in there and you can make them not go the way they want, you've got them where, you know, you've got a chance there. And that's the thing. Florida has to get the best chance possible because I, I agree with you. And again, coming from a Gator fan, they do, as of right now, they are outmatched. Um, yeah. So now you got to throw the kitchen sink at them. So one of them is going to be time of possession. The thing is, is that both of those teams are very even. So that's going to be real, you know, telling um, is how well Florida can manage that, but also how well the defense can get off the field. It is imperative that in those third down situations, Florida stops them. And it's the, the main thing is actually going to start on the first and second downs. Georgia, we've seen it all year. You are really from the past like four years, actually. Georgia, the whole schematics of their offense is to nickel and dime it and make a high percentage second or third down, make it, you know, manageable less than four yards Florida has to at least, you know, back them up to make it like third and five yards plus, and then get the stop, get as get off that field as quick as possible and let the offense chew the clock. The other thing I looked into, and this is more for Florida, how well the running game will do against this defense. Here's the thing, the offense and especially Graham Mertz, does as well as the running game does. And it's going to rely on Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, and the offensive line. We have seen when it is humming, the offense is fine. Example, Vanderbilt, uh, the other one, Tennessee, the, you know, opener against uh, whatever uh, team we put, not Utah, um, the week State. after. Yes. Um, and then when we see when it doesn't go well, Utah, uh, Kentucky, Kentucky, it, it, yeah, it it's a mess. And now you're relying on Graham Mertz, which as good as he has been, you can tell he just doesn't have enough there to just win the game by himself. You, you're not going to get that from this Gators team. You, you're not going to get one guy to win the game when it gets down to it. So that is going to be really what it comes down to if Florida is going to win this game, is how well the rushing game is and how well it can complement Graham Mertz. Here's the, here's the thing. Georgia ranks 10th overall in rushing defense, and they have only given up an average of 3.5 yards per game. Now, again, against, you know, different opponents, and I'm sure they haven't played one like Florida, but it is very, very important that Florida, you know, shoots to the outside. It's going to be the biggest thing to get to the blocks outside. Just get some breathing room for guys like Johnson or ETN give them room to make moves and get you more yards. It's going to be honestly the same game plan Georgia needs to use. Make it manageable. Make it to where you can convert. The other thing is, too, if it's one of these, you know, high percentage passes plays, they have to make catches. Other than Ricky Pearsall, I've seen a lot of drop passes, especially on these swing passes. It is, you know, again, imperative. 
that you have to play mistake free because that's what it's going to have to take to beat the number one team in the nation. And any team that has ever done this will tell you that to beat the number one team in the nation, you have to play the perfect game. So that's um, really what it's going to come down to is time of possession and how well the rushing game is. With all that being said, there's still a lot of factors that go into it, but I feel like Florida will fight and they will hang in there. But it's it's you know it's a really tough ask for a Gator team right now against a Georgia team that's you know running off two national championships. It's just you're dealing with you know the haves and the have-nots right now. But you can tell this is going to be a good measuring stick game for Florida is how well they can fight with the best team in the country. Yeah, and I think something that neither of us have, have mentioned yet, but it's definitely the like elephant in the room is the fact that Brock Bowers is not going to be in this game. And like, you know, that as much as like, I think his yardage wise is like 25% of their uh, pass total, uh, like reception total or receiving totals. But it's not just that he's 25% of the receiving yards. It's the fact that you always have to account for him in the offense. And so that makes everyone else around him that much better. I don't know. I mean, I... I don't think like the offense of Georgia scares me that much at all. Like as far as like, I mean, yes, Beck is like a deft pat a, a passer, but like the receivers, they don't really scare me. Lad McConkey's been hurt as well, so he hasn't really been up to speed. I mean, maybe he's better because of the bye week and coming into this week, he'll be ready to go. I don't know. Uh, the run game was not too uh ferocious i mean i think they had uh, a good game against um kentucky i think they had like nearly 200 yards but the game against auburn i think they only had like 107 which you know auburn's defense is not terrible that's probably the best part of auburn's team is their defense so um you know i don't know i just don't i i'm not like I know the numbers are high for them. Like they're the, the number two ranked offense, but it's just our third best ranked offense. But again, like I said, they're, they're like very uh, overinflated because of the fact of the teams they played, you know, when you're playing terrible teams, you know, you're going to get huge numbers. And um, you know, like even South Carolina, a team that is a terrible defense they were uh, they were losing to them into the second quarter and then really need a, a better second half to really put it to them. I don't know. I just – I would say this year more than any of the last three years is the, like, weakest team that Georgia's had. And it's probably the inverse for Florida is the fact that this is probably their strongest team in the last three years. And um, I don't know. I mean, I the more I've watched Graham Mertz, the more I've been happy with him. Like his completion percentage is through the roof for the season. And it was low in the South Carolina game, but it was largely to do with the fact that they had to pass, especially at the end of the game to be able to, to win that. So there was going to be a lot more incompletions there. But no, like, I mean, Graham Mertz, like, I don't know. I mean, the the beginning of the year, 
I mean, even before, like when they first announced that he was transferring, even I was like suspect. I was like, Graham Mertz. I was like, I was like, he never really did anything at Wisconsin. But then like the more that like, you know, you like thought about it and looked into it, it was like, well, you know, he was a top recruit coming out of high school. He was like uh, recruited by like Clemson and uh, um, Alabama and a bunch of these other schools. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, what? Well, well, maybe there's something more to it. And it was like, you know, Wisconsin's offense was terrible the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then Paul Christ ended up getting fired anyway. So, like, of course, that last year that he was there was going to be bad because the coach was getting fired. Like, naturally, it's going to go downhill when the uh, the the guy at the top is not able to uh, steer you in the right direction. I don't know. I. I think a lot of people doubted him because of that and were like, oh, it's not possible to, you know, for a Tiger to change stripes. But it's like, you know, Joe Joe Burrow left Ohio State and came to LSU and kind of struggled that first year, but then like obviously took off that second year at LSU. There's no reason why Mertz couldn't have as well. And I'm not comparing the two. I'm just comparing what was what is potential of transferring into something better i mean Jaden daniels at lsu as well he was kind of he was okay at uh, arizona state but really took off really last year and then this year he's you know he's probably the number one uh front runner right now for the heisman and then um you know michael, michael penix, penix. <laughs> yeah dude i mean you we talk about penix all the time i think we were some of the first people to really be on him you know because he was he was doing things at indiana and then he got hurt and it was like, I was like, man, this kid, he's, he's a real stud. And you know, it's just, I don't know. I don't know if it's just, it's because people dislike Florida and they just want to bury them no matter what. And they're like, Oh, this kid's not going to be good. And they're like, they're just being haters anyways, you know, shout out to hater radio. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, he's obviously knows what he's doing obviously had talent coming out of high school and the the offense there at wisconsin was you know pedestrian at best you know i think he put up like no more than two thousand yards each year and he's already at like basically two thousand in uh seven games which he'll you know he'll get up to hopefully at least three thousand by the end of the year and you know i don't know it I hope he stays. I really do. I hope he stays until next year because, you know, uh, I know DJ Lagway is coming in and I know everyone wants to see DJ Lagway and I do too, but like Graham Mertz in another year under the system, you know, working with uh, Eugene Wilson and Aiden Mizell and Andy Jean and uh, Caleb Douglas and the other guys and uh, Arliss Boardingham. And, you know, Trevor Etienne will be back next year. So it's like, you know, there's a lot coming back next year. And to have a solid presence like Graham Mertz, I mean, as much as the the schedule looks very daunting next year, and I know I'm talking about next year, but I'm just, just thinking out loud as far as just more of talking about Graham Mertz and what he brings to the table for this team. You know, I looked up um, – uh, I have a PFF uh, – pro football focus account for through hater radio. And I was looking at the stats because someone was talking about um, Ricky Persall and like 
his quarterback not throwing a, a, a on target ball. And I looked at the rates of like adjusted rate compared to like on target completion percentage and everything. And his number for the adjusted rate was better than everyone except for Bo Nix out of all the top quarterbacks. And like that tells you something right there that he's definitely like he he's he's doing something. And I know it's like, you know, as Gator fans, we're kind of like, I don't know. It seems like a lot of them don't know what to make because what they thought was the the narrative that he was bad. And so that like now it's it's hard to really like erase that from your mind where it's like, oh, well, he wasn't that great at Wisconsin. So I don't really know how to like take this as like he's now doing better. So it's not really like clicking with people yet. I think it will by the end of the year. But like, honestly, with Graham Mertz, he's very capable. And he's very, uh, um, you know, like, I don't know. It's it, The offense has gotten better the last couple of weeks, especially from the Vanderbilt game to the South Carolina game. And um, I, I think highly of it now where, you know, after that Kentucky game, I was – definitely very down on the offense and I was frustrated, you know, you know, I know you were too. It was, it was mm-hmm. hard to watch that game and it was, but you know, in that game, there was a lot of things that really like went against them. That was like almost out of their control. Like Arliss Boardingham drops that ball and the Kentucky player intercepts it right there and they score right then. Then uh, that special teams play where the guy is jumping over for leaping and uh you know they they get the ball back again and they scored right then afterwards so it's like two things that really change the complexity of the game in like like flukeness like whoever gets called for leaping on a punt block i've never even seen that i i think i've heard it like once maybe i'm like oh of course that happens to florida and then um you know that interception you know besides that the only other interception that graham has had all year was the, the first game against Utah where it bounces off Ricky's hands, where it was like a, like a mistiming almost. And so it's like, you know, just by chance that one, that both of those interceptions turned into touchdowns and, you know, Florida has actually been quite well at uh, limiting the turnovers, which that's a huge, uh, you know, advantage in the way they play. I they think they've only had six turnovers the problem is they're not causing that many. They only have four uh, on defense. So it, it's still a negative turnover margin, but because they've been so limited on the ones that they've given up, it hasn't been that much of a problem. So, you know, they've played clean football for the most part. The penalties seem to be down, you know, and that's a huge thing. If we can eliminate, if they can eliminate penalties, eliminate the turnovers uh, Georgia in the two games that they played against Kentucky and Auburn, um, they lost the turnover battle. Um, uh, they had one turnover against Kentucky. And then I think they had two turnovers against, uh, uh, Auburn. So there is a chance that Florida can get to them and get the ball. It's going to be hard, but you know, there's a chance there, but anyways, um, go ahead with your prediction and then I'll give mine afterwards and then we'll move on. Yeah. So, I think it's going to come down to – I think it's going to be really close. I think Florida's going to stay in the game and maybe, you know, take the lead at one point or, you know, tie it. Um, 
But when it comes down to it, it, there's a lot that needs to go right for Florida and a lot less that needs to go right for Georgia. And when it's something like that, I think Georgia will find a way to pull away from it. I'm going to go with a uh, 27 to 17 win for the Bulldogs. 27 to 17? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not too far off from that. Um, I think it's going to be like maybe like a 28 to like – 28 to 20 game, something like that. And maybe even if it's like 30 to 20 almost, if like, you know, the the score is probably like um, 23 to 20 near the end of the fourth. And then Georgia has the ball and they're driving and they score like a late touchdown to go up two scores type thing. I mean, it, yeah. it's, you know, honestly, it's, it's kind of similar – it, I think what will happen, it's probably going to be similar to, like, a combination of, like, the 2018 game and the 2019 game. Where the 2019 game, I think Florida scored late to bring it within one score. And then in the 2018 game, I think Georgia scored late as well in that one. So I think it's going to be somewhere around those two games, which I think is about right. I think, I think that's the narrative that'll happen. But, you know, again, like we said, this defense is strong. They, um, they're definitely capable of making plays, um, you know, getting, uh, honestly, what they're very good at, what Florida's uh, very good at is making stops and uh, getting off, uh, um, getting off on third down. And, you know, uh, they, their, their numbers as far as first downs, They've limited their, I think they're right there with Georgia on how few of first downs they give up each game. So that's huge right there, considering that they've played an offense like Tennessee and then South Carolina offense is decent as well. So they've played two decent offenses already and limited those first downs in those games as well. So, okay, we got our predictions. Let's move on. Um, the next game I have is the. Um, UCLA uh Colorado game. I actually have uh, a friend uh Richard. Richard, if you're listening, what's up, brother? He's a, a a fellow union member at 728. I met um a while back and uh he uh he's going to the game. He was asking me if I was gonna oh, go. Shit. I think I had I maybe have talked about possibly going, but um I'm not gonna go because more than likely I'm gonna try to watch this. Florida Georgia game. I think if Florida was not as strong as they are, I probably would have gone to the game. But um, regardless, you know, Colorado is coming in this game uh, after losing, uh, I think, the last three straight, except for no, they lost, they beat Arizona State. That's right. So they, they're like mm -hmm. three, one and three in the last three, four games. Um, but um, so, I don't know. I just like UCLA a lot in this game because their their run defense is really good. Their their like overall defense is really good. They force a lot of turnovers, which I think that's going to be a problem here for Colorado. I think they're going to force Shador to uh, make some bad passes, um, and then um... Ian, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay, yeah, the videos bad for some reason as long as we can hear i think that's fine um but um no the I, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must be your internet connection's a little, little yeah, unspicy. Yeah. Anyways, don't worry. We'll just keep going because as long as we can hear you, it's fine. Um, right. So, uh, you know, I think Shador will probably commit a couple of turnovers. Um, I think, you know, they're going to hold them to like less than 24 points. And I think if Carson Steele goes off again, I think, which he would. I mean, he he's the kid's a stud. I really am like enjoying watching these games because he's just, you know, a very solid running back that is going to get his yards. And now he's getting a lot of touchdowns lately, too. So, um, you know, with uh, what's his face coming in, the new quarterback taking over for more, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely, you know, we'll see what happens. I like I said, we talked about it the other day with Dante struggling, obviously he had three picks in that um, uh, was it the Oregon State game. And, you know, it's it's definitely a work in progress. He's a freshman. He's only 18. Like, I don't expect you know, a work of art out, uh, out there from a guy that's, you know, just nine months from high school, you know, he's still learning and he's, he's got a really good control of the offense for the most part. It's just, he needs definitely probably like another year. Um, so, you know, and he'll definitely be there at least till his junior year. I don't know. I mean, I'm excited for him regardless, but you know, the, the other guy comes in now and, you know, he had a steady hand in the game against um, uh, Stanford and they played pretty well and, you know, they got the win easy. So maybe he comes in and eliminates the mistakes as well. You know, I I think they can win this game pretty easily. I think they should win because of their defense. I think they should win probably like 34 to 20. What do you got, Ian? Yeah, this one, I – it comes down to the fact that Colorado's defense has been really abysmal. Like we said last week, they do have the worst defense in the league or in the conference, in the um, NCAA. Um, and now, you know, they've had these really close games and then, you know, they, they win by Arizona state and then they, you know, give up again, that uh, huge lead to Stanford UCLA, much more balanced offense, much more ready to attack and exploit, especially on the rushing side. I see UCLA just running over to them and, again, probably playing keep away because they know Colorado's biggest strength is on offense. So if UCLA just plays keep away for a bit and, you know, dominates the time of possession, this is going to be a cakewalk. So I'm going to take the Bruins in this one. I'll say a 34 to uh, 20. That's what I had. Okay, so yeah, yeah, and Richard just commented. He says he's here. So yeah, Richard, shout out to you, man. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Okay, so uh, next game we have is USC Cal. Um, you know, I don't know what to say. I I feel bad for all these Trojan fans because it was like the expect- expectations for this year were through the roof. And they've already played Utah and Notre Dame and uh, struggled in both of those games and barely lost against Utah. And, you know, they had a chance to win and they just couldn't couldn't hold them off. Um, I don't know, man. If, if this were next year with the 12-team the playoff, I mean, it wouldn't even matter. It'd be like, oh, two losses, who cares? 
maybe even three losses wouldn't matter. And that's where it's mm -hmm. like, I, I don't think people realize how many more teams are going to be involved in the, the, the end of the year now, instead of, you know, only the five or six teams that have a shot, it's literally not just the 12 that get in. It's the like 10 others outside of that. So literally everyone in the top 25 has something to play for all year. Do you know how much more exciting that is for the rest of the year? Oh yeah. Like that I I I honestly I don't understand why people don't realize that. They I think they're like not contemplating that fact because it's like if they truly understood that they would be like wow, this actually makes the entirety of college football exponentially more exciting and exponentially more intriguing. I, it just baffles my brain that they, um, they, they didn't, that people didn't want this to happen. I think this is going to be the best thing that ever, that has ever happened in college football. I'm super excited. You know, we're going to get so many meaningful games. We'll get home playoff games and imagine that a USC home playoff game against like, uh, you know, Penn State or someone like that, or you know, uh, LSU coming out to USC. That would be huge. It would be crazy. Like the excitement level would be through the roof. People would love those games. I don't know. I just the fact that people, you know, are downplaying this. But anyways, I'm getting off the soapbox about the playoff. Let's talk about this game just real quick because it's there's. There's not much here because Cal is not a good team and USC should get off the snide. I expect Caleb Williams to have another good game. Last year, the game was closer near the end because Cal kept coming back. And that's really, you know, the problem with the, the defense as well is the defense really needs to, to step up here. And I, I don't expect Alex Grinch to be, to be long for uh, um, with uh, USC after this year. But, uh, you know, I expect them to recover in this game. Um, you know, Branch with that huge punt return. The kid is amazing. He's such a stud. Um, if you haven't seen this freshman, he's he's a freak. And uh, you know who I actually really like with USC is their transfer from South Carolina is uh, uh, Marshawn Lloyd. He, yeah. he is a stud running back. And... I know they're like trying to get as many guys involved, but it's like, man, he's, he's very good. And he, he like houses, uh, he has like, like almost once a game, he has a, a long run of like 40 or 50 yards. And it's like, I would, I would be only feeding this guy. It's almost similar to like how Damian Pierce didn't get as much run as he should have at Florida, which probably ended up being beneficial for his NFL career. But uh, regardless, what are your thoughts before we move on? Yeah, it's the interesting thing about this one. I actually think this might be another letdown game for uh, SC, only for the fact that uh, Cal's uh, rushing um, offense is ranked uh, in the top 20 in the country. And we have seen, you know, USC struggle against a really good rushing attack. Um, with that being said, I do think SC pulls out the win, but I think Cal keeps it close, and I think maybe SC sleeps a bit. And I think it might go to a shootout, but I'll take the Trojans going 35-27. to 27. Yeah, I think USC is going to win this one pretty handily. I think it's going to be like 42 to like 20. 
Um, okay, let's move on to the rest of college football that we don't specifically cover. Oklahoma, Kansas. Oklahoma had that scare against UCF, uh, barely beating them after a failed two-point conversion by UCF. So um, I don't know. I mean, this Kansas team is definitely one that is very competitive and, uh, you know, they destroyed UCF a couple weeks ago. So I don't know what to make of this. I mean, I'm, I think Oklahoma should win this game, but Kansas has proved that they can compete with anybody. And, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is, this is the upset. Maybe this is the upset of the week. You know, this is a chance for that. Um, you know what? I'm just going to call it. I'm going to call Kansas winning this game just because it's like I haven't really called many upsets all year. There's got to be one some point, and I think this is it because it's in Kansas. And so, you know, there's a chance that um, Oklahoma just maybe they just because it's a noon kick as well. Maybe they're just not ready for it. They come out. They're kind of, you know, you know, uh, going through the motions. They're not at home. They're on the road. And I think uh, Kansas gets them. I'm going to say Kansas wins like uh, 34 to like 27. What do you got, Ian? Uh, for this one, I, I agree. And it's almost similar to my thought of the USC-Cal game. Kansas's offense is much uh, very skilled in the running attack because it kind of had to be this year. Um, but the bounce attack has really been the best we've seen and more, most efficient we've seen the Jayhawks have for a while. Um, and they've been, you know, winning a lot more games. And the losses they had, I mean, they did lose badly to Texas, but it's Texas. And then yeah. barely lost to Oklahoma State. But for this one, I think, again, it comes down to the fact that I think with Dylan Gabriel being the X factor that he has been for Oklahoma, that he'll find a way to get the ball downfield and capitalize on opportunities. So I'm going to take Oklahoma winning this one. I'll go 38-28 uh, 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 Sooners. Yeah, I mean, I just, I guess I'm like, you know, I haven't, I haven't predicted or tried to predict many upsets. And I think I'm just, I'm thinking like, maybe I should just put one out there. And, you know, there's, this has been a game that I know that sometimes bites, you know, teams in the butt, especially Kansas the last couple of years. But, you know, um, it's also, I don't know, it seems like the Big 12 if it's Texas or if it's Oklahoma or TCU seems like one game a year, these like the top notch teams in the conference usually get beat by someone like Kansas state or Kansas, or, you know, just someone, you know, comes after them. There's a lot, you know, in the big 12, there's a lot of really good teams. So you're just naturally going to get, you're going to get nicked one time at least just because of how good the teams are there. Okay. Uh, moving on. FSU going up against Wake Forest. Um, you know, I know I gave my opinion about FSU last week regarding the Duke game and Riley Leonard not being 100% and then coming out of that game. But, you know, in this game, Wake Forest, you know, they've been back and forth with Griffiths. You know, he's been the starter, but then, like, not doing so well. And they pulled him. Um and then he like came back in, I think last week when the, the guy that was in there got hurt. So I don't know what to make of this team. You know, I thought Griffiths was going to be able to take over for what Sam Hartman had been doing. 
um, but he's really been kind of lackluster. They struggled. Um, I think Florida State's going to win this game easier than I thought than in the beginning of the year. I think they should win the game probably like 38 to like 20. What do you got, Ian? Yeah, and I think it comes down to the fact that Florida State is just the better overall team. Wake, yeah. Wake's total offense, and that's the only way they're going to keep up in this game because we know Florida State is going to put up points. Wake's yeah. total offense ranking was like in the 80, 80s this year. Yeah. There, there's not enough there uh, to pull it off. Uh, could be wrong, but I'm going to take the Seminoles winning and winning comfortably. I'll go, yeah, I'll, I'll go 35 to 10. Okay, uh, West Virginia UCF. I know this isn't really that big of a game, but it's just more of pointing it out because of our uh, connection to UCF because of we're USF and Florida fans. So, you know, West Virginia has been you know, not terrible. They're definitely like a decent team so far this year. UCF does not have a conference win. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, they had that close call against uh, Oklahoma where they just needed a two-point conversion to force overtime. Um, you know, they had that close call against Baylor, which they should have won that game. Uh, they got blown out by Kansas, and then they got beat by Kansas State. So, they're 0-4 right now in Big 12 play since they got into a big conference, Power 5. Can they get um, Can they get their victory here? I think they can, but I think this is, game is going to be a lot tougher than I think UCF realizes because West Virginia is not a terrible team. You know, they should have beat Houston uh, a couple weeks ago on that miracle um, last-second play. So. I think West Virginia challenges them, and I think West Virginia gets the win. I'm going to say West Virginia wins like – I'm going to say like 38 to 33. What do you got? Yeah, I, I think for this one, both of these teams seem pretty even, both based on you know statistics and talent and all that. I think it's going to be close, and I think it's going to come down to a jump ball. Um, but with this one, I feel like this is, if it's going to be anytime, this is it. I feel like UCF gets their first conference win or big 12 conference win. Um, as you know, good as West Virginia is, I just think, especially for West Virginia's defense, which we have seen not do well against the passing game and UCF do very well with the passing game, that UCF is going to be able to kind of slice and dice them. So I think the Knights win. I'll go with a close one. I'll go with a 27 to like 25 win for UCF. Okay, uh, next one. This is an interesting game because Quinn Ewers is out right now and he will be out for a couple weeks, uh, at least they said. Uh, but BYU, Texas, it's in Austin. Um, you know, this BYU team, I think is five and two. They're definitely, you know, a team that nobody's talking about. They're not ranked somehow. And they're in the Big 12 for the first time in a conference. Or not in a conference, but in the Big 12. And they're kind of surprising people. Like, you know, Keaton Slovis has done quite well. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what... I don't know too much about BYU because we haven't talked about them that much. I think outside of the um, BYU Arkansas Arkansas game, which we talked about earlier in the year, 
But um, besides that, you know, I don't know too much about him, but I do know about this Texas team. And I will say their defense is solid. Um, they make enough plays to make a difference in uh, um, deciding games. And also, you know, they have a lot of talent in their, uh, you know, their wide receivers and running backs. So I, I know that their backup is coming in. I think they're like vacillating between uh, Arch Manning or the other guy that came in last week for Quinn. Um, but I think, I think Texas can win this game. I think they're, you know, it, it helps that it's at home. That's a huge advantage for them so that the, maybe they can, um, you know, uh, kind of, you know, take BYU out of their game. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy, but I think Texas wins this one. I'm going to say Texas wins like, I'm going to say like 31 to like 24. What do you got? Yeah, I I'm, I agree with you on this one. Um, Texas, uh, especially with Malik Murphy, um, he, he should start. Um, That's his name, yeah. Yeah, he should be the one starting uh, for Texas. Um, the thing is that Texas has help. Um, when yeah. the passing game isn't going. Uh, they got Jonathan uh, Brooks, C.J. Baxter at running back, so they have a pretty solid running game. Murphy can definitely move the ball if he has to. And then you have enough, you know, firepower on the, you know, receiving side, Xavier Worthy, um, Tavian Sanders at tight end, um, to help out in a tough situation. Um, the other thing is, too, is that with all these weapons, BYU has been very one-dimensional. It's been Keaton Slovis versus everybody else this year. For BYU, um, I think uh, average-wise, BYU is only averaged like 80 yards a game rushing. Um, so it's been very, very pass-heavy, and it has been effective. But I think in a game like this, you need everybody involved to beat a team like Texas. I think BYU can hang in there, but I almost have a similar score. I'm going to go Longhorns winning 30 to 20 uh, over BYU. Nice. Okay, next one. This is a huge one. Oregon, Utah. Both of these teams have one loss in uh, the Pac-12 standing. So the, the loser of this game is basically eliminated, not only from the Pac-12 uh, championship game hunt, but also any potential playoff uh, possibilities. Uh, it's in Salt Lake City um, at Rice-Eccles Stadium. So um, I favor Utah on this because it is a home game. But I think Oregon's offense travels. And I think that they can um, uh, they can make enough plays to be able to beat Utah. It's going to be close, though. Like this is definitely going to be very similar to the Oregon Washington game, where it's probably going to be, you know, a last second field goal or whoever has the ball last type thing. Um, I think Oregon, you know, defensively is solid enough to be able to uh, make some stops against Utah. Um, but I know that Utah's defense is very strong. It's definitely in the top 10, one of the best defenses, like bar none. Like they're, they, it's amazing how good they are defensively. I think, I don't know if a lot of people realize how solid they are. I mean, you know, like I saw it up, up close and personal, um, when they played Florida and I've been watching a lot of their games. I watched the UCLA game. I watched the USC game. Um, and I've watched some other ones that they've played, like almost all of them, every play. And so like, you know, considering 
that this team is not getting the love that it probably deserves. You know, they lost that game against Oregon State and they looked bad. But honestly, the more I have like uh, looked at it or just even thought about it really is the fact that it seems like teams go to Corvallis to die because that place is just a like death trap. Like no teams, like whatever you do well when you go to Corvallis, you're not going to do well against Oregon State when you uh, when you go there. And you know it's it's you know it it happened to Utah. They struggled there. You know their Oregon State's defense is strong, and you know right now Utah is limited because of their quarterback situation. I think it's gotten more figured out because cam rising is now officially done for the year. Um, but, uh, Bryson Barnes, not Bryson Barnes, Barnes. Um, I can't remember his first name, but Barnes has done well. And, you know, he's, he's put up decent numbers. He performed very well against USC and, you know, made that great play at the end to really put them in position for that field goal. So I, I don't know. I just feel like Utah, should be able to make enough plays to win the game. But again, I like Oregon a lot. They barely lost to Washington. And I think Washington is one of the better teams in the country. And I think Oregon can win this game. I think Oregon wins this game. I think they win very close. I'm going to say like 30 to 28. What do you got, Ian? So in doing the homework with this one, um, one thing, and you have to take into account, is – uh, Utah in a game is in Salt Lake City. Utah oh, yeah. has won 18 in a row and has won 29 of their last 30 games since 2020. And even with that, here's the thing. Their only loss was in 2020 with reduced capacity. Yeah. Going back even further, the last time Utah lost a home game, home game with a full crowd was in 2018. So five years ago, <laughs> yes. So and and it was like I think in like week three of 2018. It was yeah. a long time ago. Here's what it's going to come down to. I think, as well as uh, Oregon is, and I, I think more talented as they are, Utah finds a way to win these games, especially these games. You saw it with USC, um, yeah. especially with a lot of these skilled games, and you got to go into Salt Lake City. Oregon, as we saw with Washington and in their history, they do struggle on the road. That is the one Achilles heel with Oregon. I'm going to take the Utes with the upset here. Um, this one I can totally – if I'm going to be wrong about one, I could be this one, but I'm going to favor the fact that it's in Salt Lake City. <laughs> it is beyond – like, I get the people are nice. Um, you, you experienced it firsthand, but you want to talk about, like, not wanting to go to a stadium, that's one of them. That is yeah. a tough place to win at. And again, they've only, you know, lost one game in five years with a full capacity crowd. So yeah, that's I'm gonna, crazy. That's yeah, crazy. So I'm, I'm going to take Utah this one only for the fact of how strong the defense is. And if they can just really make Bo Nix uncomfortable and force the running game, um, if they just plug the middle and rush, you know, through those gaps. They can make Oregon's life a lot very, very difficult. And Utah, really, they just need to make enough plays. And well, I, think I think they that, can do that. And I think, like, you know, bringing that up, because I, and I didn't talk about it in my, like, you know, uh, what I was describing the game or what do I think is going to happen. You know, Bo Nix, like I said in that 
earlier stuff about Graham Mertz, he is the one with the highest adjusted rate on PFF for like how good he is, is his, his adjusted rate uh, with completions and targets and everything is like through the roof. And it's like, I don't think anyone would have thought that. And that's another, uh, another example that we talked about transferring, you know, Bo Nix leaves Auburn goes to Oregon and he has completely rewritten his narrative to the point where it's like, no one even talks about how bad he was at Auburn anymore. Like that's not even like a story. Now it's like, Bo Nix, the potential Heisman uh, hopeful. And I think that might be the difference out of this game. The fact that it's in Utah, the fact that these teams are too closely matched. I think Bo Nix is the difference maker in this game because out of either team, well, Savaki um, uh, is a stud too. I will say he's, he's done quite well for Utah the last couple of weeks, but I, I, just Bo Nix in general, like if he's leading the way and he put them in position to tie that game against Washington and, you know, he deserves a ton of credit for how well this team has played the last two years. And I think if anything, that he will be the difference in this one. Okay. Moving on. Uh, Pitt Notre Dame, interesting game because Pitt beat Louisville a couple weeks ago and Louisville was, had taken down Notre Dame before that. So does Pitt, get a second uh, scalp um, in taking down Notre Dame. I don't think so. I don't think this no, this pit team is that good. The game is in South Bend. I think Notre Dame is still has a lot to play for because even though they have two losses, I think if there's like a slim chance of anyone getting in with two losses, it would be this team with, uh, the schedule that they have. So I think if they just keep winning, they present themselves as a viable candidate to be in the playoff. Potentially. I know it's a very slim chance, but stranger things have happened. I mean, I think because of their schedule, they played USC, they played Louisville, they played Duke, they played Clemson, you know, uh, they played Ohio state. They played a lot of tough teams and I don't know. I mean, We'll see. But I, I, I like them in this game because of Sam Hartman. I love Estime. Um, he's a solid running back, puts up a lot of yards. Um, the defense is strong for Notre Dame. It's been strong all year. They've kept him in basically every game. Uh, they forced USC into a lot of turnovers that really changed that game. Um, you know, I think I think Notre Dame can force their will on this team, and I think they will. I think I think Notre Dame is gonna probably win like 38 to like uh, 22. What do you got? Yeah. And for this one, Pitt on offense has averaged about 20 or so points a game, which is good. But the defense has given up way more than that. And it's not the offense that you can consistently rely upon. It's like 21 to 24 points is their cap. And we know Notre Dame can score more than that. So I'm going to take the Irish yeah. in this one. I think they run away with it. I'm going to go with a 38 to 17 win for Notre Dame. Okay, uh, next one. And speaking of those two teams, because they both played these two teams, or at least Pitt played both these teams, or Notre Dame played both these teams. Pitt played Louisville, at least. Duke and Louisville, um, this is a matchup between two one-loss ACC teams. Um, well, Duke now with one-loss ACC and two 
overall overall because they lost to Notre Dame. But um, Duke Louisville, I mean, this is this will go a long way determining who ends up in the ACC championship game. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know what to make of this Louisville team. I'm really surprised how badly they played against Pitt uh, two weeks ago. Um, I really like the guttiness of Duke in this Florida State game. I think they played really well. But again, Riley Leonard is probably not playing. I think they were trying to get him in the FSU game to play the whole time, and it just was not going to happen. And I think they're probably going to have to sit him this week at least because it's just – I don't think he's going to be – his ankle is not 100%, that's for yeah. sure. And so I think you need to rest him. And I don't know, like at this point, it's like, what? how long do you rest him for? Because then the season's going to be over because – if they lose too many games, they're going to be out of contention. So um, I don't know. I I like a lot of parts on Duke. Their defense is strong. I think their running backs played phenomenally well against FSU. And if, if Riley Leonard doesn't get hurt, they probably put over 250 yards on Florida State. Um, I think Louisville wins this game, though, because it's in Louisville. I think uh, Louisville wins probably like – 31 to like uh 21 what do you got yeah so these teams looking at this i never had this thing on how similar they are yeah and it comes like even like okay total defense yards allowed louisville has given up on average about 317 yards uh per game duke 315 that's pretty close yeah they're overall the last game they played Duke lost 38-20. Louisville lost 38-21. Okay, what else am I going to try to find a winner? Total <laughs> offense. This was it. Duke averages 371 yards per game, which is solid. Louisville averages 100 yards more than that, 462. Yeah. There, there it is. So I'm going to take Louisville winning this one. I just think based on that and seeing the talent of Louisville, and they were able to score fast where Duke, it's very slow and methodical. I think yeah. the Cardinals win, and I'm going to go with a 30-21 to 21 win. 30-21? to 21. Yeah. Okay, uh, next one, Washington-Stanford. I only put this one on there just because I know Washington struggled last week. I think they, uh, they, they kind of correct things, and uh, Michael Penix has a better uh, game. I'm going to say Washington wins like, 42 to like 14. What do you got? Yeah, I kind of, I think Washington gets it together. At least they should. Uh, they know they can't fall into that trap again. So I'm going to go with the Huskies winning convincingly 40 to 14. Okay. Next one is Tennessee, Kentucky. An interesting game because both these teams only have uh, two SEC losses. So um, they're basically. Not out of the hunt of the SEC East because there's a lot to go down in the next couple of weeks between Missouri, Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia. I think all four of those teams play one another um, in the next four weeks. So um, Kentucky still has a lot to play for. You know, essentially they're probably playing for second in the East because they – uh, they don't have the tiebreaker against uh, against Flor uh, against Georgia because they lost them, so they would need 
They would have to have Georgia lose three times, which is almost impossible. Um, but uh, and they're already they're already technically, even though they have a tiebreaker with Florida, because they have two SEC losses, they're already behind Florida there. So Florida has the advantage on them, and then Tennessee because Florida already beat them. Florida has the advantage there. So, uh, so it's. It's essentially they're playing for second in the East almost kind of at this point. So, which, Hey, it's not a bad thing to be playing for considering that Georgia is um, the two time defending national champion. But uh, you know, last week against Alabama, Tennessee got up to that lead. They were up 20 to seven and then they, you know, got railroaded by Alabama and Alabama won like 38 to 20 or 37 to 20, whatever. And I don't know. It's, I would have thought the defense would have come to play better in that game. They played strong at first and then they were, you know, really letting Milrow take advantage of things in the second half. Um, You know, Tennessee's offense has been kind of, I don't know. They're off their Their running game is strong. Um, Samson and uh, the other guy are are strong running backs, and they've put up huge numbers. Right, but, but Milt, right, yeah, and Milton has just been the weak point, and he's he's had games where he's just been completely non-existent, and you can't have that if you want to compete in the SEC. On the other side, with Kentucky, I don't know, man. They they got smoked against Georgia, and that Mizzou game, they were up uh 14 nothing and then just fell apart and Mizzou ended up scoring like 38 straight points or something like that I don't know it was just or 38 to 7 or something like that outscored them and it's just I I don't know what to make of this Kentucky team because you know they beat up a lot of terrible teams and they were kind of fortunate to beat Florida the way they did um they've kind of reverted back to what they probably are more like. You know, they have a couple other games the rest of the year. They play Alabama, I believe. And, you know, that's going to be a tough game. So they have quite a few games that they may lose. They may lose the Louisville game as well. So they have a lot of tough games to go. And, you know, this game is in um, Lexington. So, you know, obviously they get a lot of – uh, hype from being there in Lexington because the crowd is pretty loud and it's a big stadium. Um, but I don't know. I just think Tennessee wins this game. I think Tennessee is a better team right now, um, regardless of the loss last week to Alabama. I'm going to say Tennessee wins probably like 30 to like 20. What do you got? Yeah. So the one key thing here, and we all know Kentucky, they, the offense is only as successful as the run game. Um, and you see that when the run game is going, it it's night and day. Here's the thing. Tennessee actually has a top 25, right? I think top 20 rushing defense. They've only allowed a little over 100 yards per game. And that is not, you know, a good forecast for a Kentucky team needing the run game to click uh, in this. Then it comes down to the fact that, you know, what other alternatives would Kentucky have or would these teams have when plan A is not, you know, going for the offense? Tennessee still has a strong running game. They can pass the ball still with Milton or he can, you know, make plays himself. 
You can't do that with Kentucky. It's either the run game or nothing. And this was the other thing, doing my homework. Kentucky has never beaten Tennessee when ranked, when Tennessee Mm. was ranked. And they they have literally played each other since, like, the 1890s. Yeah. So not once when Tennessee is ranked, Kentucky has beat them. And also almost 40 years of going back to, like, 1985, I know Florida had the long streak against Kentucky, but Tennessee had an almost as long one going from 1985 to 2010, which people, I think, a lot of forget, before Kentucky won in 2011. But regardless, 40 years, Kentucky's won three times in almost 40 years against Tennessee. Yeah. When it comes down to that, I'm going to take Tennessee winning this one. I'm going to go uh, Volunteers winning 26 to 17. Yeah, and, you know, I just real quick before we move on on this one, you know, I know Ray Davis is strong. I'm not denying that. I think Tennessee, they faltered against Florida with Trevor Etienne running over him or running over them. But I don't know, maybe because Ray Davis is almost all they really have, you know, and Devin Leary's been very inaccurate and turnover prone that, you know, if they just basically stack the box, that you know, there's not much chance of Kentucky doing much because of that. So, all right, moving on. Uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin. This is an interesting game because there hasn't been like any buzz about this game. Which you know, Wisconsin's not a terrible team, and um, you know, Ohio State goes on the road to Madison. Um, you know, coming off that win against Penn State, they also have that win against Notre Dame, so they're kind of riding high right now. Um, McCord is like piecing things together, having a decent year, not an amazing year, not definitely not a uh, CJ Stroud or Justin Fields type year, but he's definitely having a good year. Um, you know, the rest of the team is solid. The defense, I mean, Jim Knowles is got to be one of the best defensive coordinators the last like 15 years in college football, like what he did at Oklahoma state and what he's now done in Ohio, Ohio state. I mean, just remarkable job. He's done completely like just changing the face of this defense for Ohio state to just something that is, I mean, I know they gave up a lot of points to Georgia in the playoff game last year, but you know, defensively now they just look very stout, very stout. And, I don't know. Uh, you know, their bevy of receivers, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. and all the other guys there, they have uh, uh, Stover at tight end. They have a lot of playmakers. Um, I don't know too much about this Wisconsin team, and I'm not going to be, you know, like, hey, I know this. I don't know much because we haven't covered them because they haven't played that many big games and they don't have, like, they're not a, like a top 15 team. So, not much really to focus on them the last couple of weeks. This is a big game of theirs. I probably should know more about them. And I'm not going to lie. I don't, I just don't. Cause I haven't looked into them that much. Um, I still like Ohio state because I think this team is strong, but this could be a game that was that Ohio state gets beat at. This could definitely be one of those games. That's like a sneaky game where they're not ready for it. Wisconsin's up there. The crowd is hyped. You know, it could be one of those 
where there's if there's a turnover or two or maybe three, where then Ohio State just gets behind the eight ball and then they're just they don't come back and they don't win this one. But I think Ohio State does. I'm gonna say Ohio State wins like probably a close one. I'm gonna say like 22 to 17. What do you got? Yeah, and the only thing really of note that I remember from Wisconsin is that Tanner Mordecai is the QB yeah, transfer Mordecai. from us. So yeah. We've talked about him a lot in years past. But, again, Ohio State just has the weapons to win these games. Um, Wisconsin, the best chance they have is to keep it, you know, down and dirty in the mud. But the offense has given up over 300 yards a game, and that is just not the right formula when playing a team like this. So yeah. I think uh, with that, and especially against an offense that hasn't been as successful that Wisconsin has, I think Ohio State wins this one and they'll just pull away. I'm going to go with a uh, 31-13 to 13 win for the Buckeyes. Okay, let's do these last three really quick. UNC, Georgia Tech. I'm going to say UNC wins this one pretty easily. I'm going to say they probably win like 38-17. to like uh, 17. What do you got? Yeah, I'm going to go uh, UNC winning this one. I think actually, you know, with the Haynes game, it might be a bit closer, but I think the Tar Heels, they don't, you know, get bit twice. Um, and I think they'll pull out in this one. I'm going to go a uh, 27 to 14 win. You there, Chris? Uh, check one two one two. I can I can see you. I can't hear you. Yeah. Hey, can you hear me? Why, why can I not hear you? <laughs> 